Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. We are still in the midst of uncertain economic times and COVID is still raging. Depending upon the industry or industries you primarily serve, your cash flow may be less steady today. So when I heard about the TAF program, which stands for Trade Adjustment Assistance for Firms, I thought it's something that might be helpful to shops. And I wanted to bring it to your attention, as well as maybe some other federal programs or even state that you may not be aware of. TAF in particular provides up to 75,000 in matching funds to companies who've been hurt by import competition. Scott Jacobs of Great Lakes Trade Adjustment Assistance Center, which helps companies in Ohio, Michigan, and Indiana is joining us to explain the program in more detail. Scott has been helping companies tap into government programs like TAF for years, and he has a huge passion for manufacturing. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Scott. Oh, hey, Jay, honored and excited to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, when I found out about this, I, I was just so excited to get you on because, hey, let's face it, we all are paying a lot of dollars in taxes, and it would be nice as manufacturers for a little bit to come back to us and help us and our teams be better manufacturers and not let the business go offshore. Absolutely. Yeah. So first of all, I want to be clear to the audience that we are not related and that this is not a plug for a family member. So true. Yeah. You are located in Michigan. Yep, that's you, correct. You stumbled upon Great Lakes when you went to grad school. Yep. And before we specifically get into Great Lakes and what TAF is, 
what were you studying in grad school and what compelled you to join Great Lakes? Because that probably is not what exactly you were studying. Yeah, well, so my background is and my training is in applied economics, which is very atypical for folks that, that are affiliated with this program. Isn't that an oxymoron, applied economics? Yes, indeed it is. That's right. You, you've got it. I, 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 cannot, I cannot dispute that. But I was doing that, and I actually I went back to grad school in my 30s. And when I did, I'd actually done some market and industry research before. And one of the things that the Great Lakes TAC and, and other TAAF centers do is they help companies identify and develop plans. And that requires some research about, you know, industries and markets. Mm -hmm. And so I did have some experience doing that. And when I found out that, hey, there's this organization that's helping small manufacturers, I, I was really excited. And so while I was in grad school, I ended up working there part time. And when I graduated, I ended up being a project manager and was able to work directly with a number of small manufacturers. Hmm. And then when the director left, I was the most expendable project manager. And so I ended up actually becoming the director. And most of my job is staying out of the way of the people who do the real work. Let's find out a little more about Great Lakes TAC. Tell okay. us what you do and anything else that you want to share. Okay. Well, the Great Lakes TAC is one of 11 centers across the U.S. that runs something called the Trade Adjustment Assistance for Firms program, which is the only federal program that's specifically designed to help small manufacturers who've been directly hurt by imports. Mm -hmm. And the way the program works is really help companies identify, prioritize, and then implement business improvement projects and then pays for half the cost of those through this federal program with the whole idea of helping companies improve their competitiveness, remain employers, become more viable, you know, and support small manufacturing in the U.S. How does the process work? So you're primarily focused on TAF. Where do you start with TAF? So basically, the, the program is a three-stage program. And the first one is qualifying as, hey, you can use this program. And what that involves is we connect with small companies and help them figure out, hey, are you likely to be eligible for this program? And to do that, I'll, I'll go into that later. But the idea is, one, we help a company qualify. Two, we help them then figure out what is the best way to use the, the co-funding that's available to them. And that's a basic planning process. We bring some value there with the idea of we're never going to know your business as well as you know your business. But we've dealt with hundreds of small companies in pretty much every industry you know, that have been hurt by foreign competition. So we've seen a lot of problems. And we then develop a plan for the company about how are they going to use the funding. We will give our opinions, but ultimately it's the company's plan. And if it's going to improve their business, we're going to help them do it. So then there's this planning process that has to be approved by the, the federal agency that oversees this, which is called the Economic Development Administration. And then after that's approved, we go through and help the company identify potential providers for the projects that they want to do. Mm -hmm. We handle the administrative aspects of contracting projects, and then we pay for half the cost, 
the company goes through and implements the projects that we identified. We will typically work with the company. Most companies will do three to four projects over three to five years. Is the $75,000, is that a lump sum over the three to five years or is it per year? That is the lump sum. Right currently, the maximum a company can receive is that $75,000. You don't have to spend it all in one year. Correct. You have to spend it within five years. And one of the real benefits of the program is it's flexible enough to really address whatever specific needs a company has. Well, I, I like a couple things. One is that with the extended time frame, you could put in, say, a training program, and it's something that could be ongoing. You don't have to do it for a year, then you don't have funds, and you have to stop. You could make a three, four, five-year commitment for specific training say for the shop floor managers, and that continues to have the impact because I know the stop and go just is frustrating. The other thing that I like is I think about a lot of small shops and they don't have, I'll call it a bureaucrat working within the shop. I was fortunate when I started Rapid, the sheet metal and machining company I used to own. And in the beginning, and even and the end, but particularly it was helpful in the beginning. My father, who was retired, would come in and handle these sort of bureaucratic projects that just would not have been done if he wasn't willing to step up. And he enjoyed doing that. So the fact that for someone who doesn't have their retired father to help them, your organization and the others around the country provide that expertise, and that's what you're good at. You, you know how to 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 work the system, if you will. God, I, I, sad but true. Yeah, yes, that's exactly right. I mean, small companies, I mean, one of the keys, you're right, and long-term engagements are important, you know, because companies simply don't have the bandwidth to do everything that they want to do in one year, mm-hmm. A, you know, and, and you need time to absorb a bunch of changes within the business and then build upon them. And, and really, I think that's the key that makes this program work is one, it is a long-term engagement. And two, it is flexible enough that you can do almost anything with it. I mean, most training programs or other kind of federal assistance, mm-hmm. there are reporting requirements or job retention agreements. This program doesn't have any of that. It really depends upon the market and depends on hey, if we help a company improve itself, it's going to remain an employer and a valuable asset to the community. Well, I want to get into the details, but can I ask first for you to share a story or two of a company or companies that you have specifically worked with? You don't have to use the names, but just to give us some real world applications of how this money has been put to use. Sure. I, I think that's a good idea. I mean, I guess the first one, Let me step back and say, when I say small manufacturing, I mean small manufacturing. Our average company in our region is about 60 employees and a little over 10 million in sales. But we've got a whole bunch of folks that are six-man shops. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have a, a lot of specific needs. And again, the flexibility to be able to work with them, I think, is key. 
most of the companies that we work with in my region are basic industrial commodity providers. They're injection molders, they're machine shops, they're mold builders, they're mm -hmm. foundries. And one of the first examples I'm thinking of is a foundry where there was a new silica requirement put in and by OSHA and a lot of sand mm -hmm. molders were really going to have significant difficulties with that because they had to be able to adhere to this new standard, but they often didn't have, they didn't know how in the world are we going to change our ventilation systems and, you right. know, and our work processes to do that. So we had one foundry that, that one of the major projects we did was help them bring in some outside engineering to help them redo their ventilation system and redo a bunch of their policies to allow them to be in compliance. This company also, one of the big pushes in right now, well, everywhere with manufacturers is moving ERP systems into the cloud. Makes a uh -huh. whole lot of sense, uh -huh. usually. And, you know, these guys needed to move up. There's an industry best breed, typically, system that they wanted to move into the cloud with. And we basically helped them bring in a provider uh -huh. to do all the transition from their current system to the upgrade into the cloud. So those very kind of tangible, immediate needs, program is really good with. However, also one of the big things that companies need when they come to us is to increase sales and yes. to diversify markets. No, I'm thinking of one company that, no, they're an injection mold builder in Michiana, which is the area between Michigan and Indiana, right along the border, South Bend, mm -hmm. near Chicagoland, they had lost a bunch of business and they, they really needed lead gen. And so they, through the program, did both a big lead generation and then business development initiatives mm -hmm. to identify and supply and win more business. And that's another sort of iterative thing, but we also have big sort of market diversification pieces. Mm. Traditionally, it's automotive supplier, you know, where 90%, you know, their, their sales are into automotive. Mm -hmm. And that's a very dangerous market forever. And it's going to be more dangerous moving forward. And so a big push oftentimes is to try to diversify. And we had one company where they were about 80% automotive, there's Stamper, and they knew that they needed to diversify. And so they used the program primarily to do that, which involved, first of all, doing some market research to figure out where can you sell your capabilities. And then there are some promotional materials, particularly website. And then I think there was also a reevaluation of their, their sales organization because selling into automotive is completely different uh, than yes. you know, selling to aerospace or selling to appliance. Mm -hmm. Now, and then I, I remember there was some sales training. So that was a much more comprehensive, big picture, transformational kind of engagement. Mm -hmm. So the program can really do these small iterative improvements, like those first two examples I gave, or they can really help a company step back and change the strategic focus and, and direction of the company. So those are a couple examples. And these sound like things that you're probably going to do anyways, or might in the case when there's government regulations have to do. So you 
get it. I think a double bang for your dollar in the sense that you get some funds to help you accomplish it, but you also get the expertise of an organization like yourself who probably know some of the consultants who would be able to help you so you don't have to do that research on your own or maybe bring someone on board who isn't a best fit. So I, lo I love the way that you can contribute in many aspects to these programs. A absolutely. Um, now, I actually have now been part of the Great Lakes TAC and affiliated with this program for 20 years, which is incredibly hard for me to believe. So I have some history. But before the Great Recession, the majority of companies that we worked with, it was really the phone stopped ringing. And hmm. they really did not have a good sense of <laughs> their, their market and why their customers bought from them. I mean, what was their value proposition? And they also seldom had worked with consultants. So in the old folky days, a huge value that, that we brought was to really have a large number of consultants that we've worked with over the years that we can help a company choose among. Huh? Nowadays, I think more than half of the companies that are coming to us have a very good idea of what they want to do and what they need to do. In business school talk, which we usually don't use. I mean, they knew that their business model was viable. Yeah. We try to avoid that, but, awesome. but that is important. I mean, yeah. co companies that are around today have lived through the great recession, recession, you know, have, have lived through you know, 2012 and are living through this and what the program can do for everybody. And the idea of the program is help them implement things that are going to improve their business more quickly and hopefully more efficiently than they could without the program. Yeah. I like the saying, what got you here isn't necessarily what's going to get you there. So a shop who has a growth mindset constantly needs to adapt and will be implementing programs where perhaps you can help them. So how do you qualify for TAF funding? Okay. So I have good news and bad news there. And mm -hmm. that good news and bad news is around that this is a federal program. Um, mm -hmm. And our goal as a center, so we ultimately are, are federal contractors. Our organization contracts with the Department of Commerce to do this. But it is a federal program. And as such, it is slow. The way you qualify for the program is that a company has to have had a decrease in sales of employment, typically on a year over year basis. And we have to be able to identify specific business that has been lost directly to foreign competitors. And we, we need to confirm that. Mm -hmm. So the first step is really to have a conversation with the company. And typically within five or 10 minutes, we can help them figure out, are you gonna be eligible for this? And then the next question is, is it going to make sense given your situation? Mm -hmm. And there are some circumstances where this program is a bad fit. If you're a company that is really uncomfortable bringing in people from the outside, that's not a good fit. If you're in a financial situation where you're unable to pay half of the cost of the kind of improvements that you want to make, this isn't going to be beneficial. But for most people that are forward-looking and trying to improve their shop, no, it's pretty clear that they don't have all the capabilities they need in-house. And so they need some help from the outside. So this is frequently a good fit. So the first step is figure out, is the, you know, is the company probably going to qualify? And 
is is the program going to be what they need it to be mm-hmm. as part of this then we have to document that in something called a petition and submit it to the eda and then they that document ends up the company will end up being certified as eligible to apply for trade adjustment assistance which really means the department of, of commerce acknowledges that you have indeed been hurt by imports Okay. The second step is after that happens, basically we're helping the company figure out how are you, how do you want to use this funding? Mm-hmm. And ultimately our goal is to help them confirm that, okay, they got probably 150 grand, 50% theirs, 50% the programs. What is the biggest impact? What are the greatest needs? Mm-hmm. Then we have to document this in something called an adjustment plan that serves both as this internal planning document for the company and it drills down as far as, okay, what are the actual scopes of work and what are the actual timing? Mm-hmm. And I mean, so that is both a planning document for the company, but it is also actually the official application to be able to get the funding. So we will put that together for the firm. Again, I think, as I said much earlier, we will give our opinions mm-hmm. and what we think makes sense, but ultimately it's the company's decision. Sure. Um, and one of the big questions that frequently happens is, okay, man, we're below break even. Um, we're operating at 50% capacity. Do we need to reduce our costs first or do we need to increase that top line? The company and us may have a different opinion about that. We're gonna do, we're gonna do with the company, how the company wants to proceed. Mm-hmm. Our, yeah, our job is to suggest, you know, but ultimately this is the company's plan. So that document then again gets submitted to the EDA and after they approve it, I should step back and, and say that we can never guarantee that either a petition or an adjustment plan will get approved by EDA, but my center has never had one rejected. So one of, one of the big keys there is after our first conversation, we're going to know, are you likely to be certified and use uh-huh. the program? Because we don't want to waste anybody's time. Right. After this plan is approved, we then go through with the company and implement the projects that, that they've identified one by one. Uh-huh. Um, we help them find potential providers if they don't have one. And then we take, take care of the project management things. And then we pay for half the cost as the, as the projects go on. Uh-huh. A key thing is that this plan is really sort of an as-is situational document. We know that things, if, if, things, if the situation does not change for a company, during the time that they're implementing, we should be doing something else. <laughs> and <laughs> you have the ability, and, and we do regularly go back and review this and help the company. We, we will re, you know, reevaluate and, and re, replan uh-huh. funding. But the goal is really to provide enough flexibility that the company can do what they, you know, what they want to do. I, I set up front a problem with this program, you know, federal program is that it's slow. Jay, if we were going to have this conversation today about your company, uh-huh. realistically, it would take six, eight, maybe more months to be able to get to the point of where you're doing projects. So from the time we first talk with you to the time we get money? Yep. Yes. And that's a, that's a huge problem. And also one of the reasons why sometimes it doesn't, is, is not mm. a good fit for companies. So specifically on the money side, 
do you have to submit invoices to the EDA or who sends you the money and how do you document yep. to get paid? Yep. So a lot of people think about this as a grant program. And for most people, that's okay if you think of it that way. But there's a couple of ways where it's not. So first of all, this planning portion of the program is really all the justification for doing the projects. When a company is doing a project through the program, we do not have to capture huge amounts of information about the project. We've already done that due diligence about the project having value up front. And most grant programs, I mean, the problem is you've got to either promise to do something or Mm -hmm. document a bunch of stuff. And for a lot of small companies, if they don't have your dad, that's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. And it's not feasible. So a good thing about this program is I don't have to do that. And so what will happen as we're doing a project is the way the payment structure set up is that we will pay as the company pays. So that cuts companies' cash flow requirements in Mm -hmm. half. Yeah. So as a, say a company's doing a lean project, that's not a good example. Say they're doing an CRM implementation. Mm -hmm. That will generally go on for several months and mm-hmm. you know the consultant will want to have progress payments mm-hmm. that's fine the consultant will invoice both the company and us at the same time and then we will both pay and then we'll move forward from a consultant's perspective this can be really valuable because we will never short we very seldom our, our program We currently have in my region, a 98% five-year survival rate, which means of all the companies Mm. we've worked with over the past five years, 98% are still in business. Very seldom do companies go out of business, but from a provider's perspective, they can, there is that, that positive of knowing if this company does fail, they're going to get at least half of their money. What I heard is that as a owner, I don't have to pay money out and then wait for the government to reimburse me. So my cash flow is not impacted. Correct. The other part about this is eh, not important. Yes, that is, that is the key. <laughs> the key piece is cash flow is reduced by half and there's no significant paperwork. Sure. You have seen a lot of shops. You've talked about some of the shops. What are the common traits of successful shops that you put your eyes on and this is gets away from the program but just you you see so many shops what what and what i'm trying to do is give the owners a outsider's lens on custom manufacturing shop characteristics if you're doing these things good if you're doing these things bad so let's start with successful shops what are common traits or characteristics? Well, of course I have to give the proviso and it is true that, that all companies have individual circumstances Oh yeah, and yeah, you know, and the keys to success vary all over. However, really from our perspective, the biggest indicator of success is how strong the management team is, how cohesive the management team is. It comes down to people. Um, and typically that involves both the skills and the mix. And for a small shop, you may have three managers. Another key is having outside perspective as regularly part of your business. So 
Do you have an advisory board? Do you participate in industry organizations? Has anybody worked outside the shop? I mean, one of the things that I am always impressed with is, you know, the top shops that everybody knows that you hear about that have gone down from generation to generation that are tightly held and tightly managed. Frequently, those shops don't have folks from the outside as part of the management team. That is exceptional. And the only way that that works is if you've got really strong family members and a really strong business, because those guys are the exception. Okay. If, if you are insular, if you don't have outside opinions and input, it's really hard to be successful in a changing world. Mm-hmm. So that would be thing number one for me. Thing number two is customer relations. So one of the things I think I mentioned that we need to do is we actually have to contact customers and confirm that, hey, part of the, the decrease in sales that have happened to our client are a result of switching sourcing. And some people are, are quite nervous about that. And we respect that. We never contact anyone that we haven't already prepped and got approval from the client. But most purchasers really want to help their vendors and their uh-huh. suppliers. Right, and, and they think it's great that, hey, we want to help them access this resource. And so they're usually very helpful. One of the things that we'll find is there are some companies that still don't know why they lost business. If mm. you don't have a relationship with your customers, mm. if you're not going back and, you know, and, mm. and reviewing what, why you lost bids, that is a real indication of, you know, usually, usually, mm. you know, there could be some serious issues in a company. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. And that's really, that's different guys. I mean, 20 years ago, eh, we made stuff, you, know, yes. you make stuff. And that's why you're in a small shop is because you want to do that. And nowadays that doesn't work anymore. And any other common traits of shops that are struggling? Yes. When you have a ch- generational change in ownership. It's either really, really good or really, really bad. Mm. And that provides a lot of opportunity. If you're the son working for your dad for 20 Mm -hmm. years and all of a sudden you are the man, that is great. That is exciting. But you can either make important changes that you haven't had the opportunity before, or you can keep doing what you were doing. In some cases that will work, but... A lot of times where you see problems is in Mm. succession. And so really, I mean, one of the biggest suggestions I would give is start thinking about succession early. If if you want to get out in five years, it's time to think about who is going to take over and do. You don't don't think about it six months before. Yeah. I mean, and a succession plan is not about a legal document. Sure. It is a legal document, but that's not the important thing. I'll also put out there, Scott, is it may sound like, okay, that's something I'll think about. But particularly with older shop owners, a health issue can just happen. And if you are in your 50s, definitely 60s, surely 70s as a shop owner, if you don't have a succession plan or an exit strategy, you're just waiting for that landmine to go off. That's, that's exactly right. And it's really quite surprising that those problems don't happen more often. 
And I think a lot of people haven't thought about it, haven't documented it. And then they're thrown into the fray if it happens, but lots of those folks succeed, but don't do that to your middle managers or the next person who's going to own the company. Right. Um, Right. So let's say we're a shop owner listening and we are not in the Ohio, Indiana, Michigan area. How do I find somebody who can help me? Our region is great. I highly suggest moving here. So there you go. (laughs) No, no, no. So this is a federal program and it is basically run the same way across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can identify what organization is running this. The easiest way to do that Mm -hmm. is there's a national website, which is taacenters.org, T-A-A-C-E-N-T-E-R-S.org. Mm-hmm. And I would go there. Folks should also feel free to, you know, contact me. I can steer you in the right direction. But that taacenters.org website will identify where the center is in your part of the country. Mm-hmm. About half of them are located at universities. And the other half are sort of self-standing private nonprofits. Great. We all, we all do the same thing. The program is the same. And so I highly recommend at least looking into it. And I think another advantage or s- strength of, even if this is not the program for you, but engaging with a TAF center is that you work with so many other organizations out there that are there to promote manufacturing, to help manufacturers become better. And I want to jump into a couple that you have worked with that owners may not be aware that they exist. And maybe you can just tell about how you've interacted with them and maybe their mission in a real basic sense. But sure. the Manufacturing Extension Partnerships, MEP, you've worked with your local ones. Can you just talk about them and maybe some of the things you've done? Sure. Jay is, is, is talking about the Manufacturing Extension Program or MEP program which is actually the big federal program that, that's designed to help small manufacturers. And their whole mission is to improve the overall competitiveness of small manufacturers. And the way they do it, so these are located in all 50 states, and they're focused on providing a, a portfolio of services, which include both classes and consulting to small companies. And You're right, we work with those MEPs in our three states Mm -hmm. and frequently we will use them for projects for clients. And they're a provider that I would always recommend people investigate. And they're more different than the tax are. They have differing formats and structures, but really what they're there is to help companies make improvements. They're very good in operational things and quality certifications, but they do things beyond that. And so that is the big federal program. And you do not have to be distressed. You know, they, they work with everybody and that's their goal is to work with everybody to improve competitiveness. Mm -hmm. And that's how they're different from the TAA program. We, we can only work with companies that the program deems distressed, but 
And also we work with relatively small companies and we work on long-term engagements. The MEPs are, are really project oriented. So they will help you do a single project and they have a lot of capabilities. And yes, I would recommend everybody, you know, know who their MEP is and at least give them a call. You know, if you've got specific needs. Yeah, great resource out there. How about any other organizations that you engage with? Well, I think industry associations are really important. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, not only for information sharing, but many of them have training programs or suggested providers. And sometimes they can give people discounts on those. We're actually talking to PMA right now about a training project for for one of our clients. And Um, PMA, for those who don't know. Precision Metal Forming Association, Mm -hmm. stampers, vendors. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I mean, for lots of folks, trade shows don't matter anymore. But still, connection with folks on the outside, best practices. I, I am always reading Modern Machine Shop and looking for their top shops. So I would think about industry associations. You also participated recently in Engage 2020, (laughs) didn't you? Yes, I did. This was, if anybody else was there, I I had never been to a virtual conference before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my kids thought I was playing video games. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But this is a structure where they, they really, you know, we're trying to focus on. And who is, who is they, who put this on? Thank you so much, Jay. <laughs> NTMA is the National Tooling and Machining Association. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're one of the biggest industry associations for small manufacturers, molders, tool and die builders, precision machiners, lots of custom manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our big friends. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. and also they have very strong chapters and that's particularly if you're in an industry where your industry association has chapters and that's where they're active like ntma those can be really valuable not only for the networking but again for different kinds of programs and assistance but so yes ntma was doing a uh, conference that because of COVID, they decided to do virtually. And it involved really bringing forward folks who've had successes. We were there both to participate and we did not present, but we exhibited Mm -hmm. and we also were able to go and see a bunch of the workshops, which I thought were very good. Well, trade shows aren't happening now. And I love how the NTMA and others are still creating ways for us to gather, to collaborate. And there's nothing like being in person, but this is certainly a much, much better than just being isolated. So uh, kudos to them for putting it on and I'm glad you were able to participate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the other thing is, I mean, the big national conferences, they're great, but the little stuff, that the Mm -hmm. industry associations do and NTMA does Mm -hmm. are are really great. The cost is nominal. The time commitment is whatever, you know, you deem, Mm -hmm. you deem necessary. But I guess if I was going to do one thing to engage, 
if I had a custom manufacturing shop is I would look at joining a, an industry association. Great advice. I have one last question for you, Scott. When you go home at night, how do you know that you've had a successful day? Oh, well, as I said, I used to be a project manager. However, I am no longer frequently getting to interact with lots of companies and getting out on the road. So for me, if I get to talk to a client and help address a situation, help them get further along in their quest to improve their competitiveness, that's fantastic. Also, just hearing the reports back from my staff about mm-hmm. the success, usually of individual projects, but also broader positive things with their clients. We just had a cut and sew shop that not through our program. I mean, we told them about the opportunity and they found it. They just got a $600,000 contract. Nice. Uh, yeah. Oh, huge for them. Huge yeah. for them. And this was a, an opportunity that we told them about, but they did went and did all the work. And to just know that, hey, this is this job, this is a, you know, 18 month job. It's going to keep the doors open. Yeah, that that kind of stuff. So I live vicariously now. <laughs> well, it is a great example of it being a team effort. And we as manufacturers were really good a lot of times at making parts. As I said in the beginning, we're not good at bureaucracy. So it's super that you're out there, you and folks like you to lean on and to help us be more competitive. So yeah, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Scott, and share your experiences and let us know about the government programs, the associations, particularly, of course, the TAF program. Any last words for our audience? Keep our chins up. Keep our, you know, <laughs> this, this too, this too shall end. Yes. One of the things I was amazed at over the past year is we haven't lost one of our clients. Fantastic. That is fantastic. And that's not because of us. Right. That's because people are out there working hard, figuring out a way to keep the doors open, figuring out a way to rustle up enough business. I am really impressed by that. And I feel really honored and lucky to be able to work with folks like are listening to your podcast because manufacturing is fun and it's also hard work. So for those folks who are listening and want to reach you, how can they do so? Well, probably the easiest way in this day and age is email. And my email is S-D-J-A-C-O-B-S at U-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U. I would also suggest simply going to our website so you don't have to remember that. Sure. Our, our website is gltaac.org. And, you know, if you're in another region, feel free to contact me or you can find out who the TAAF center is that's covering your state mm-hmm. at taacenters.org. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate the time. Oh, Jay, thank you. So that's it for today. I think this ties in well with my belief that successful shops spend money on training. And if you are doing this or plan to do this and meet the TAF criteria, why not let the government help you upgrade your team skills? It's a win all the way around, makes the U.S competitive and keeps jobs here. These are the types of activities, small, continuous activities 
that make a difference as they add up. Until next time, keep those spindles turning, those lasers cutting, and those dollars coming in the door. Have a super day.